0: like to make an additional comment about our missions focus thank you uh, so much adrian um, because of your generosity the bridge has taken on a significant uh, portion of giving uh, this year because of how well god provided through you last year and we've more than doubled our missions budget this year and we've taken on a significant commitment to the hesse so when you give Uh, to the bridge you're also giving to the hesse so thank you very much bridge kids it's time for you to be dismissed and so you can go and be with your teachers and leaders and for the rest of us we are starting a brand new series in the book of exodus so i hope you uh, will grab a bible or find your smartphone and see how smart it is and see if you can find the book of Exodus. We're going to begin with chapter 1. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. It is about the most important story in the Old Testament. So over the next uh, many weeks, we are going to be developing a background for the uh, main story of the Bible. It's really an important story. Uh, And there are many stories within this larger story. Um, It's about the deliverance from bondage. It's about redemption. It's about who God is and what He's like. And you'll be amazed each week as you study the character of God in the book of Exodus. Um, The book of Exodus lays out foundational ideas further developed in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. In Exodus, God raised up Moses to be a deliverer of his people and to deliver them from uh, the bondage of slavery. In the New Testament, God raised up Jesus Christ to be the deliverer for God's people and their slavery to sin. In In Exodus, God instituted the Passover lamb that was to cover the sins of the nation of Israel for one year. In the New Testament, God raises up Jesus Christ, who will be the Passover lamb, who covers the sin of everyone who believes for an eternity. So today we're going to introduce the series. In the next several weeks, we're going to go from Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 20. This will include the life of Moses, the ten miracles or plagues that uh, God used to deliver Israel out of Egypt. and It will include the story of the Ten Commandments. And this is going to be really foundation. Whenever you hear, in the, this is going to uh, help uh, explain the Apostle Paul, the teaching of Jesus, uh, the teaching of the New Testament. One of the concepts that you hear in the New Testament that is kind of unusual for us is when the Scripture talks about the law. What is that? Well, it's going to include the Ten Commandments, and we're going to find out how that came about. And I think you're going to find a lot of insight through this uh, series in Exodus. So let's begin. Let's go to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start with a background of the book of Genesis, from the book of Genesis, because um, Exodus is really a continuation of the story of the book of Genesis. Uh, The author is Moses. Uh, There's a lot of reasons I could take time to show you why uh, I... We believe the uh, author is Moses, but several times through the book, you'll see that Moses is told to write these things down. And then you'll see Moses wrote them down. That's one of the reasons why we think Exodus is written by Moses. So uh, the context from the book of Genesis, context from the book of Genesis, and we're going to start with Genesis 1 through 11. I just, I'm going to give you a little background here, it's a little history, and I'm going to go fast. Genesis 1 through 11 is about the beginning, so we're going to go from Genesis 1 through 11, and then the story is going to develop quickly. But in Genesis one through eleven we find the beginning of creation. Where do we come from? What's our origin? And then we go to the beginning of humans. Where do, where do we come from? Um, the beginning of marriage, the very first marriage, the beginning of sin, the beginning of languages, the beginning of nations. And Genesis chapter one or chapter one through eleven, in verse eleven, chapter eleven, not verse eleven, we're introduced to a family there's a special person named abram that will become abraham and we're introduced to him and then the next section in genesis is genesis 12 through 24 and that's the life of abraham and this is a really important character in the bible and god handpicked just selected him not because there's anything special about him it was just god's choice to choose this man, and he made promises to this man that uh, will be passed on to all of his descendants and carried through the entire Bible through the book of Revelation, okay? So this is going to be an important concept, this, this guy named Abraham. His life is in verses 12 through 24. Um, he has made special promises in Genesis 12, and they're reaffirmed in other chapters. He's promised uh, that he will be... Uh, God will bless him and make his name great that he will have many descendants that God will make him into a great nation and that he will be given a certain piece of geography some land and that through Abraham and through this family God is going to bless the world the whole world and ultimately it's going to be Jesus because Jesus' family is through the line of Abraham and then we go Genesis 25 through 26 this is not like a perfect division but Isaac doesn't get much uh, print. Isaac is Abraham's son, and uh, there's a little story about him. And then we're going to jump to uh, the life of Jacob, Genesis 27 through 36. There's a lot about Jacob. Jacob is a character, and uh, he's not the smartest guy. He thinks he's pretty smart, and he gets into quite a bit of trouble. And um, but he's going to be a really important person. The amazing thing is these guys are just ordinary people they fail God many times and God is just so faithful to them and uh, they are often talked about as being heroes but when you read their story they've got a lot of things that probably were disappointing to God as well Jacob had a problem I did a series well Jacob had 12 sons okay 12 sons, they will become 12 tribes or families, and Jacob's family will become the entire nation of Israel. And you need to know also that Jacob's name gets changed. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. So when you talk about Israel, who are you talking about? Well, you could be talking about a person named Jacob. You could be talking about the sons of Israel, who are re- really the nation, or you know what? You could even be talking about the land of Israel. Okay, so you got to know the context. But it's pretty clear in the context whenever that happens. Now, Genesis thirty-seven through fifty is the life of Joseph. Jo- Joseph, and this is my favorite story, and probably in the Old Testament. And you remember, if you were here a couple of years ago, we did an entire series on Genesis thirty-seven through fifty. Joseph is a hero of the faith. Um. The problem is, Jacob has 12 sons, Joseph is one of them, and Jacob picks Joseph to be the favorite. That's not good, parents. And his brothers hated him for it. And so they devised a plan to get rid of Jacob, and they made it look like Jacob was killed, and they ended up selling him into Egypt, caravan passing through, and he got sold. He ends up in Potiphar's house, and that's going okay, and Potiphar's house gets blessed while Jacob is there, But Potiphar's wife is interested in Jacob, and that creates a problem in Joseph, and Joseph gets thrown into jail. And that's not good. And Joseph is a good guy. He didn't deserve to be in jail. And while he's in jail, the the jailers get blessed because of Joseph's presence. And eventually, um, through a series of interpreting dreams, God enables Joseph to interpret dreams Joseph gets to stand before the Pharaoh of Egypt, because Joseph is in Egypt and his family's back in the land of Israel. Actually, it's not called Israel; it's um, it's the land of Canaan, and um, he gets called to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream, and um, the dream is about having seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt, and then seven years of famine, and Joseph interprets that and Pharaoh lets Joseph out of prison and he likes Joseph so much that he appoints him to be the administrator. Not only that, he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. That's an amazing thing. You got Pharaoh who was God in Egypt. He's he's a human God in Egypt and he he places Joseph, a Hebrew, at his right hand man. And so God orchestrates uh, the situation and he ends up... Joseph brings, during a famine, brings his entire family into the land of Egypt where there was plenty because there was a famine back in Canaan, and all of Joseph's family joins him. And it's a long story. Joseph doesn't reveal himself to his brothers for a while, and then he lets them know his brothers think he's dead. And they're scared to death Joseph's going to kill him. But Joseph welcomes in. Which brings us to Genesis chapter 50, verse 22... This is how we're ending Genesis, and this is how we're starting Exodus. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Ephraim is a son. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh. Manasseh is a son. We're placed on birth at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, the other 11 guys who sold him into sl- slavery, I'm about to die. Next slide. But God will surely come to your aid and take up for you out of the land, uh, he promised, the promised land, an oath to hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs. You're going to hear these in the New Testament well. These are really important names and leaders in the old testament abraham isaac and jacob and joseph made the israelites swear on an oath and said god will surely come to your aid then you will you must carry my bones from this place joseph wants his bones carried he knows they're all going to be bones it's going to be by, by the time this happens and uh, this is going to be important because 400 years later they're going to carry his bones because of this So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So we leave Joseph dead in Egypt and brings us to Exodus chapter 1. And we have the 12 tribes, or the families of Israel. Now, I hope, some of you, this is just old stuff. Some of you, I hope, this is putting the picture together about the Old Testament people. And these are the foundational uh, ideas and stories. The 12 tribes... Exodus 1, 1 through 5. These are the names. So this verses 1 through 5 is going to connect Exodus back to Genesis. There's a, the story continues. These are the names of the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob, who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. And just quickly there, and we can just list them up here. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Levi is the third one on the left. Now, Levi will become a priest, a tribe of priests. They will become the Levitical priesthood, and there's a book in the Bible called Leviticus that it's about how to worship, and it's related to the tribe of Levi. Issachar, Zeb. oh, I left out Judah. I meant, I meant to mention Judah because Judah will be the family line where Jesus comes from, from Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and last, Joseph joseph was already in egypt and he has died at the end of the book of uh, genesis and i already said that israel can refer to a land it can refer to a nation or it can refer to jacob as one man we need to have a map i've been told we haven't had enough maps recently so this is my (laughs) so if you look up at jerusalem we're pretty familiar because that's where jesus was crucified and and over there jerusalem and up is the land of israel but Egypt is down southwest of the land of Israel. And I want you to see uh, where it says Goshen um, uh, in lower Egypt. And, be, and the, what you have on the left is the Nile River, and it's going north, and that's a delta up there where, it's, where all that color... Is that green? I'm colorblind. So that's the, that's the Nile Delta. And uh, God's people settled in Goshen... And it was a rich, fertile, and it was great for, they were an agricultural people, so it was great for them. So they're going to be, that's where they are in in Goshen. Um, Verses 6 through 10, the changing philosophy of leadership in Egypt. And we see in verses uh, 6 through 7, the blessing of multiplication in Israel, population explosion. What's the blessing? It's children. Look at verse 6. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. That's not the blessing. That's just life. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. Now, the writer goes way out of his way to make this point. They were exceedingly fruitful. What's that about? They multiplied greatly. Okay, I'm getting it. They increased in number. And what? And they became numerous and the land was filled with them. What's going on in Goshen? Well, they are being blessed. Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said... Now, this goes back to Genesis chapter 1. This is what God wanted His people to do, by the way. He blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. That's exactly what they're doing in Goshen. They're doing what God told them to do. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds, etc., etc. Now God's people are in Egypt, and they're being fruitful and they're multiplying. Uh, they're even in a foreign land. Verse eight: There's a new king in Egypt. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. I don't know if I built this enough, but Joseph was a really important person in Egypt. He's second in command the pharaoh uh, whatever pharaoh turned over to joseph it it just seemed to turn to gold Uh, it wasn't a magic touch it was a blessing of god in joseph and so joseph made a big impact in egypt very influential leader but a period of time happens we don't know how long i'm guessing it's over a hundred years and a new king arises that doesn't know joseph and more than that, he doesn't even care about Joseph. He doesn't care about Joseph's past. He doesn't care about Joseph's relatives. He doesn't care at all. We don't know who this is exactly. There's uh, tons of theories about it. Um, we do know that there, that there were invaders in Egypt around this time, the Hyksos. And um, it, it could have been this uh, one of the kings of the Hyksos who didn't know anything about the past. He didn't care. Or... It's possible that it was one of the rulers after the Hyksos left, and it's a new Egyptian king, and and, uh, he doesn't like uh, all that's happened in the past, and he doesn't really care. Whatever, we do know that there's a king doesn't care about Joseph, doesn't care about his reputation or credentials, doesn't care if he disses Joseph or not. So the king brought a new leadership strategy strategy to Egypt in verses 9 and 10, and we have a change in leadership strategy. Here's verse 9. Look, He said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So, God has been so blessing the Israelites. They just, you know, they are exceedingly fruitful. And this creates a problem in the eyes of the pharaoh, the new king. And by the way, pharaoh is a title for king. Just like in the Roman Empire, there were Caesars, and that was a title for the king. And so pharaoh is a title for king. It's a rule. Um, The pharaoh fears the Israelites because of their potential threat to his future. Now, he hasn't really been threatened by them but he's thinking about it, and he fears the possibility. Because if you remember that map in Goshen, uh, they're on a border out there. They, an army could come in and come right through Goshen and uh, pull all those Israelites together against the Egyptians. That's his fear. And so he develops a plan of propaganda to induce fear. He says, come, we must deal shrewdly. Um, if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. And so he's, he's spreading ideas. He's got he's to rally the Egyptians to his viewpoint. Verses 11 through 14, the new administration in Egypt, and we see this in verse 11. So they put slave masters, the Egyptians put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. So this is the new king's plan. These uh, Israelites are out of control. They're having babies. It's getting scary for us. And so we've got to take charge here. We've got to bring control to this situation. And uh, these are law-abiding c- citizens, the Israelites, uh, f- from everything we see. They spent most of their free time multiplying, and they're they forced to build cities now. They're, they are... Uh, They're put into a forced labor to build store cities. And these cities were, you know, this is a a very uh, prosperous agricultural area, and so they stored food in this area. And they also stored armaments because they needed a place uh, in case they needed to rally the troops quickly in the outer uh, parts of uh, the kingdom. And these store cities were a good location. Uh, let's see the map again another map yep same map and see the cities uh, up there just above Goshen the word uh, Python and Ramesses so those are those are where they're located and that's where the hard labor uh, will will take place so Pharaoh the king of Egypt must be thinking now that we will force them to work they won't have much time or much energy to be fruitful and to multiply but he doesn't know god's people verses 12 through 14 we have the oppression but the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied what's going on here so the egyptians came to dread the israelites and work them ruthlessly Uh, The the Egyptians just couldn't slow down this healthy population explosion. The Egyptians' method of birth control didn't work. Um, Now it gets worse for the Israelites in verse 14. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in bricks and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the Egyptians are so frustrated, um, they became ruthless in their persecution of the Israelites. They couldn't stop the blessing of God. They tried. Um, they sought to make the Israelites as miserable as possible. So now that Pharaoh is even going to take more drastic measures in verses 15 through 22, and this, the measures for population control. Pharaoh's first population reduction plan, verses 15 and 16. This is probably kind of the uh, second one because the first one was to put them in forced labor thinking they're going to slow down if we do this. didn't work. So this is a population reduction plan. The king of Egypt, verse 15, said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Pua, and this is probably the president and vice president of the midwifery uh, solutions group, and um, they're, you know, they're mentioned because this is a great um, detail for an eyewitness account. These, these ladies are mentioned because these are heroes to be remembered. All of God's people should remember these names. Um, verse 16, when you're helping the Hebrew women, this is what the Pharaoh says, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, and from what we understand, there were two stones and um, the Hebrew women delivered upright, sitting on two stones, and um, gravity was a strong uh, help and if you The Pharaoh says, "If you see that baby is a boy, kill him, but if it 's a girl, let her live So Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives to do um, his work um, for him and um, By the way, the term here, uh, he says, when you're helping the Hebrews, Hebrew is a, is a term that refers to the people, Semitic people of this area. Abraham was a Hebrew. The, the concept of a Jewish person doesn't come until a few hundred years later with Judah and the land of Jude, Judah where the tribe of Judah will settle and those people who lived there became Jews and later that will refer to the entire nation. But now, this uh, term Hebrew refers to this people group. And um, the people in Abraham's family in Israel or are, are in Egypt are Hebrews. So, um, verse 17 through 19, we see the response of the midwives. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. The midwives feared God. They had a deep, profound respect for God. They understood that life was a gift from God. They valued human life. They demonstrated a huge amount of courage. You know, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, orders you to do something. There's a good chance you're going to end up being accountable for this. What happens if you don't do it? They didn't know what the outcome would be. But they let the boys live. Verse 18, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? So the pharaoh, um, he interrogates the midwives. He wants an answer for why the baby boys are not dying. Verse 19, the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. And that's probably a true statement. And they deliver differently. They're not as healthy as the Hebrew women. And uh, they are vigorous, the midwife said, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. And that was probably true sometimes. You know, and they probably were healthier, and they probably had a shorter time span in the whole delivery process, but they definitely made choices to let the boys live. And that brings up a great question, just to take a side here. It raises the question of, do you obey government, or do you obey God? Christian, do you obey government or do you obey God? What if there is a conflict? And I think it'd just be it. I know a lot of you uh, have thought through this well, but I just want to remind us of what the Scripture says. First is uh, Romans chapter 13. This is from the Apostle Paul. This is to the church. This is to Christians, by the way. This is for you and me. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God so when you think about that you think about our government you think about our president you think about every elected official you think about local you think about state authorities are there because of God God has allowed all the authorities and um, he wants us to be subject to them Verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, is rebelling against what God has instituted. So, Scripture is saying if you want to rebel against your government, um, you may be rebelling against God if it's just because you don't like the law. Okay? And sometimes I think Christians handle this really, really poorly. Um. bearing the sword is about having the authority for execution of the law execution might be arrest it might be put in jail it might be even capital punishment certainly was true in the first century now keep in mind who the apostle Paul is talking about he's talking about Nero the emperor of Rome one of the cruelest and most violent and illogical leaders uh, in the history of the world and yet, Paul is calling Christians to be obedient to government. For the one authority is God's servant. Um, next slide. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also the matter of conscience. This is also what you, why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants. Oh, paying taxes, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> But God just says, you know, it's normal to pay taxes to your government. The government does the service. You, you may pay high taxes. Pay your taxes. We live in a land where we can disagree with our government. We can protest. We can write. We can, we can ask to change laws. And we can get laws changed sometime. That's an amazing thing. They don't kill us because we want to change the law. It's, it's an amazing country we live in. We can disagree with our government. But generally, we should just obey the laws. Even when, well, I don't want to pay taxes because our government is immoral or our leader is immoral. Well, there's probably never been a leader who hasn't had some kind of sin. All leaders are, all government people and Christian leaders are sinful. And there were certainly uh, poor world leaders in the first century and there are poor world leaders in our century and in our world But most of the laws aren't about morality. Most of the laws are just laws about where I drive or what property, how I buy property, or um, that I shouldn't kill my neighbor, shouldn't hurt my wife. Um, Those are pretty good laws. And we're mostly just called to obey. So is there ever a time that we shouldn't obey our government. And we have a couple of exa- We have an example in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. I forgot to admit, let's skip Acts 4.13 and go to Acts 4.18 through 20. Okay, and um, the apostles uh, were preaching in the name of Jesus and they were asked not to preach in the name of Jesus by the uh, religious leaders. And the religious leaders had legal authority in Jerusalem, by the way. So this was a law, this was an important law. They could be put in jail for breaking this law. Um, then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So they told them, don't, don't preach and talk about Jesus or talk about his death or talk about eternal life. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to so listen to you or to him? You be the judges, and for us we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. He's saying, we can't stop being a witness uh, for God. And there's one other passage that is... Uh, really better than I meant to have in here. And I'm just going to read it. It's Acts um, 5, 527. Having brought, this is the next chapter, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. So there you have it. They disobeyed uh, their, their law. They disobeyed the orders of the leaders, the officials, because they had a higher priority and it was God's priority and it was God's law. And so they placed God above man. So if you're asked to do something by your government that's, Morally wrong, you should place God's law above your government. But I bet there isn't many times that that's going to happen. Most of the time, it's just routine obedience to the laws. And if you have a higher call from God, obey God so now let's get back to our story in exodus we're coming to the end of the chapter we see god's response um verses 20 and 21 so god was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous good heavens what's happening there in goshen god was kind to the midwives god gave them favor and they people just kept being fruitful and multiplying and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. He just blessed them with children uh, because of their obedience. God gave them favor, his grace. He, God honored these midwives because of their faith, and he blessed. God was honored by the, this wholehearted commitment of these women. I hope you see you know, even from the last few weeks. God has a very high view of women. They don't always get a fair shake in culture. God has a very high view of the role of women. Verse 22, Pharaoh's second population reduction plan. This is how the chapter ends. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. This is kind of significant. The Nile is, is what the Egyptians see as the bringer of life to Egypt. Without the Nile, they don't have a lot of life. They don't have a lot of food. They don't have crops without the Nile. The Nile is all about life to them. And, and Pharaoh wants the Nile to be the execution uh, instrument of his justice. He wants those baby boys thrown into the Nile so that they can be uh, annihilated. Um, So now Pharaoh expands the authority. It's not just the midwives who should do this. It's all of the Egyptians now who have this authority uh, to kill. So I have some lessons. We're going to leave it with things getting worse. Some lessons. First, God is faithful to his promises. We could use this one every week. This is a lesson from the section God is faithful to his promises. God promised to bless Abraham and he's doing it right here in Goshen. He promised to make his name great, he promised to make him into a great nation. He is, he's making a great nation. They got to have a population to do that. They also need a constitution and they need a land and that's coming. So hang in there. God is carrying out his promises. He's promised to give uh, to do all of this, God is going to have to they're in Egypt. And they're they're becoming this great huge group of people. How how big is this going to be? Well, how many w- went in? At least seventy. How big is this going to get? Well, we know when they come out, there are six hundred thousand males over the age of twenty. They're being fr- now, that doesn't say anything about the women. Doesn't say anything about kids. Doesn't say anything about people under twenty. Um, So God is promised. And to do this, if God is going to make them a great nation, he's going to give them land, he's got to take them out of where they are. They're in Egypt. They can't do that in Egypt. God's got to take them out. That's the Exodus. That's where we're going with this. He is faithful to his promises. Uh, Genesis 12, 2 is just a small part of the promise. This is to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So I want you to count that on that God is faithful. He's faithful to His promises. He's going to be faithful to you. Secondly, God is not slow about keeping His promises. Second Peter chapter three verses eight and nine. This is a pretty well-known passage. If you're a follower of Christ, um, Peter writes, "But we do not forget this one thing, dear friends: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day." And we go, "Oh, that's not good enough." I want I want my stuff now I'm not waiting a thousand years God's on a different timetable than you and me and one of the big questions you have to ask is that okay with you that his timing is different his timing is really probably better than yours and you're not God so he didn't let you choose the timing issues um, the people in Israel will be in Egypt for over 400 years is that too long I know you're afraid to answer that (laughs) verse 9 the Lord is not slow about uh, keeping uh, his promises as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance so uh, just comment here be careful about forcing God into your timetable just be careful When you want to put yourself in his role and you want to tell him how to do his job, be careful. God is faithful. He's going to accomplish his will. He's going to work his promises. You need to let him be God. And you be the follower. You trust him. Be careful about trying to control God because you think you know what is best. I'm just making that suggestion for you might save you some heartache secondly uh, god is looking for people with hebrew midwives like the hebrew midwives not with hebrew midwives, (laughs) who will act on his promises above their own fears and worries god is looking for people just like the hebrew midwives who are going to trust him they're going to act on his priorities his welfare his concern above their own stuff things that we worry about things that we fear second chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 for the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him he's on i I love that because he's on the search he's on the lookout he's watching for people who are fully committed we could say fully devoted follower of christ Um, and, and he wants to strengthen them. He wants to bring his favor on them. He wants to bless them. Um, he wants to empower them. Okay, third one here. This is the last lesson. Sometimes God allows things to get worse before they get better. That's what we're going to leave the chapter. Y- you know, in reality, that's true. We don't like it. But sometimes God allows things to get worse before they get it's exactly what happened to the israelites in egypt they will be released but they will suffer more before that happens are you going to be okay if god allows you to experience difficult stuff in this life uh, john 16 33 jesus said uh, i've told you these things so that uh, in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart i've overcome the world we just need to expect trouble now the big difference is do I face trouble I'm going to face loss I've already faced loss you know I'm just like everybody else people in my family have died Um, stuff happens people get seriously ill Um, people lose jobs Um, finances can be difficult but it's amazing if you can trust God and he gives you strength and endurance, and, and He gives a peace in the midst of it. You know, it's not like, a, oh, I'm so excited. No, I'm not excited. This is really, really hard. But I have God, and I sense His presence, and I sense I just need to keep walking with Him. I just need to take this one day at a time. I think this is going to work out, but right now I just need to keep trusting God. So don't create a wishful thinking worldview about God. You know, like, God is just supposed to make me happy because God has another plan. And there's a lot of joy in following Christ. And joy is is a whole lot that happens in here. It's not about so much what happens out here. Because you know people who have all the stuff and lots of things that are really, really fun and should make you happy because the circumstances are good, but they're not okay in here. God is working out his purposes for his glory, for his honor. He did that in the history of Israel. He's doing that. He's doing that in the history of the church, and he's doing that in the history of the bridge. He's working out his plan and his purposes for his honor and for his glory. So, God is faithful. That's what I hope, one of the big things we see today. God is faithful to keep his promises. He's faithful to you to keep all of his promises to you. And, um, One of the things that I hope we can get to do as we go through this series together is get to know God in a better way. Uh, Get to know how He works in history and what He is like and uh, why He um, has moral values and and, uh, how they are to be played out and how they impact us. So. we're going to get a chance to watch God work in an everyday way and we get a chance to be a part of what God is doing in our world today let's stand and let me pray Father thank you for the book of Exodus and the story of how you worked and how you revealed yourself and how you saved a people and prepared a people and you gave promises and how you worked out your promises in history. Lord, may we learn from that in the coming days. Thank you for those midwives who were courageous and faithful and put you um, above the forces of evil and the forces of darkness. And uh, they just uh, took, took some sacrifice by faith. And Lord, we know that pleases you and honors you. And may we be people like Shifra and Puah that um, have courage and that are willing to put you first. And God, we know that you are still searching today and you will come alongside and supply what we need for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.